Hello, welcome everybody. Thanks very much for joining us. I'm sorry it's so hot in here, and I mean, but it's going to be so exciting that you won't mind in a few minutes. Right, well, this fantastic panel of incredibly eminent people in front of you, and um, we're here today to discuss how you start in the industry, uh, how it progresses, hints and tips for anybody thinking of it. Um, I'm really gobsmacked by the absolute star-struck two things I've got here in front of me. Let me introduce you. This is Phil Edgar-Jones. Just as you start with a nice starry person. Phil Edgar-Jones you know, started his life as a runner but uh, ended up running Big Brother. He's now the commissioning editor, head of Sky Arts, so basically running arts in the whole of the UK. Susan Kalman. Hi. <laughs> Susan Kalman is, as you know, one of our most famous and successful stand-up comics, Hi. writers, actors. She's great. Hi. Ian and Jordan um, are from this amazing uh, company. Ian Grinnell and Jordan Laird, and uh, it's actually called Studio Something, but they're actually recipients of our new talent award. Was it last year or the year before? We were nominees. Yeah. nominees well, you brought right. it up again. Well, no, I'm always not. Always I'm sorry. Right we treat all our nominees as recipients yeah. because you are a bad <laughs> talent nominee, sorry, uh, with their fantastic uh, film, James Morrison. They now run this incredible um, online presence where, I don't know how to describe you, we'll get that to that later. Yes. It's across as many, many platforms. And of course, the wonderful Sharon Rooney, who's again one of our most celebrated and famous actors. Um, really, it's a, a great opportunity to ask everybody how they really got their first start in the industry. So what was yours? Um, well, I actually got Mad Fat Diary by being in the wrong place <laughs> at the wrong time. <laughs> um, my agent said to me, I've got this really big audition for you. It's for Skins. It's between you and someone else. It's huge. You're probably going to get it. So you need to be in London tomorrow at 9am. And I was like, uh, Mom, here I am, have some money. So I got to London. There was no audition for Skins. It was an open call for a workshop. The queue was like miles, miles long. So I waited in it. I went and I met a casting director and she said, why are you here? Like, why have you come all this way? There's no reason for you to be here. So I told her and then she said, look, I promise I'll find you something. And I went, right, okay, fine, yeah. And then she did. She phoned a year later and said, come for this audition. And I said, no, because I was like, I'm not acting anymore. I can't do it. It's no. And then she said, I think you should read the script. And I read the script and went, oh, I'll come along. <laughs> it sounds like a fine project. Um, so if I hadn't have took the risk and gone for that audition, I would never have met her and I probably wouldn't be sitting here having done my bit But you presumably maximised and built on that first opportunity because that's really important. Lots of people get you know one lucky break in a bit yep. and then it comes to nothing. So, so what was the next step to make sure that you carried on at that level? I think it wasn't getting complacent. Because um, I think a lot of people have this conception that because I've done Mad Fat Diary that now I kind of just get jobs, it's dead easy, I'm always working. I probably get just as many no's now as I did before. Um, I still have to audition, I don't just get jobs. I still lose jobs that I really want and I still get jobs that I don't I don't want. Um, so I don't do them. But it's you're not, you can never relax in this industry, you can never just go, ah well... I've got so many followers on Twitter and I've, you know, I've made something, I've got a BAFTA, that's me sorted for life. It's, you have to keep working, you have to keep, keep going, otherwise people will stop phoning and people forget you. 
Um, Ian and Jordan, how about you? I mean, you're, it's also worth just an opportunity to explain to people exactly where you're placed in the industry because, I mean, you're real spoofers and creators <laughs> and everything, but you cross, you know, you have a real sort of cross-medium presence and yeah, everything. So, 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 what, so what kick-started you? So we started, <coughs> well, we are still largely based in advertising, so we started at a, a company called The Leith Agency. So Jordan and I were creative partners there, which essentially means you write adverts and do ideas for brands. Um, so we were doing stuff for, for Iron Brew and brands like that there, and then <coughs> we realised that it took such a long time to make anything um, in that world, that we, and we started making music videos in our spare time for like Universal <coughs> and Island Records, people like that, um, and we went, oh, we're making these things in a week, you know, we're getting a brief and then making them in a week, why aren't we doing stuff like that all the time? Uh, so we created a company called Something Something, which is now called Studio Something, um, that essentially made content. So it made content for brands, it made content for ourselves, um, and yeah, we essentially just went out and made stuff. I think that that's the difference. So we, we had quite a few meetings around TV and stuff, and it was the same thing as advertising. It seemed to take a long time, and I think a big thing was like permission. Like it was like you're waiting on someone to mm-hmm. say, it's all right for you to go make that thing now. And I just think we just got bored of it and we're like, we'll just make it. Like, we don't need anyone to tell us to, that it's all right to go and pick up the camera and like make a film or make a music video. So I think we've just maintained that, that like, yeah. we're not waiting on someone to let us do it and we'll just make it. And if it ends up on TV, amazing, but that's not the end goal. You did it the opposite way, right? <coughs> Most people start off being really naughty and then end up being really responsible. You're starting an advertising yeah. You do it the other way around. Yeah, I think so. I think <laughs> we're, we're getting into TV now because it's the last thing left to do <laughs> but I think yeah so like that's how we started the company we approached them um, well actually Channel 4 approached us and they were like we've got this thing called the Alpha Fund um, where they give um, minorities <laughs> minorities what box did you say being Scottish I think there's a minority yeah. which I think Sharon we were talking about that that Jesus. I know, I'm told, honestly. I'll explain it to you later. <laughs> oh, yeah, the house thing. No, being Scottish. Oh, right. <laughs> uh, Susan, how about yes. you? I mean, that's, it's been a, quite a long journey. Yes, I haven't it. started in law. Yes, I did. Mm-hmm. So, uh, left school, uh, 17, got a law degree, uh, trained for two years, was a lawyer for seven years. Uh, then, after my 30th birthday, had an early midlife crisis. <laughs> and I always wanted to be a stand-up comedian, but in 1992, when I left school, there was one comedy club in Glasgow in Blackfriars. And it was pretty much a boys' club, but I didn't see that there was a, a way in. And then I had a bit of a... Oh, someone said breakdown and started <laughs> it's fine you can laugh at that it's fine I'm very open about the fact that I had a slight breakdown um started stand up it, it's a, about 11 years ago now and then what I did was having no idea what I was doing I'd never even been to a comedy club before I started doing stand up because I don't believe in research and <laughs> I did stand up the comedy unit at that point was looking for new talent uh, th- it took ages. We did a sketch night called Rough Cuts. Uh, Will Andrews and Greg McHugh and I started making some videos together. And then I started working at the comedy unit as a script editor and a script reader, so I did that as well. And then we made a pilot for Channel 4, a sketch show called Blowout, which won a Scottish BAFTA. And then Channel 4 decided to remake it with other women <laughs> who were, I would say, younger and prettier than the two women who were in it, I'll be very honest with you. And I was devastated because I thought... This was going to be it. They were going to make a series, and I thought, wow, no problem. 
what's all the nonsense about television being difficult? <laughs> and then I've spent 10 years after that learning how to do other things. And I'm so glad I was so disappointed so early on in my career because it taught me you must never... It's kind of what you were saying. You must never, ever think that you've made it at any point <laughs> because it, it could go horribly wrong. And then I do stand-up. Uh, I, I love... Joe Brand's my kind of go-to... She writes and presents and acts and does everything. And especially as a stand-up, I do as many things as I can on the basis that one of them might at some point happen. <laughs> so I do stand-up, I write sitcoms, I present TV shows, I do everything I can, and eventually one of them will start paying off <laughs> at some point. So I've spent you know, basically 10 or 11 years not being at home, travelling around the country, working... And it's now starting to go well. So the main thing for me is it has been the hardest work I've ever done. And when people say, you know, Sarah Millican's one of my very good friends. Oh, she's got a television show. Oh, how did that happen? That woman and people like Kevin Bridges work so hard, you know. And just because you suddenly see someone on television, behind that is 10 years of the shittest gigs you can possibly imagine. <laughs> Phil, Briggs Bouncy inherited Sky. Rotten oligarch father. No, it's not true. I am a, I'm a young Murdoch. Yeah. Um, well, not a young. <laughs> um, well, so I, I suppose I'd echo everybody else. It's a mixture of hard work and happy accidents. So I uh, remember, I was just thinking about this when I was coming back up to Edinburgh. I came up to Edinburgh last night. It was where I grew up. And uh, I remember uh, leaving college and spending about a year of, uh, this is pre-internet I'm afraid, but writing letter after letter to people and uh, not getting anywhere, you know, having that, you know, I, I think it echoes a lot of uh, young people's experience now of it's really struggling when you leave university, you think you think the world's just going to open up before you and it just doesn't. Uh, so I spent a year doing that and I eventually got a job in magazines down in London uh, and uh, and I suppose, we didn't call it this at the time, but I started networking, <laughs> meeting lots of people and uh, uh, and keeping my eye out for television jobs and I got a, a job as a runner on the title sequence of the first series of The Word which none of you, some of you may remember it's a kind of youth television show on Channel 4 many years ago uh, so, uh, well it's a funny show wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and, um, uh, so I got a job as a runner on that and I was doing sort of a couple of jobs uh, sub-editor in magazines and a runner on that at the time and I, I had this I always had this sort of viewpoint that I would never kind of uh, turn down an opportunity I'd always try something out just to see, kind of see if I could do it. Uh, so I got a job in the Word doing that. And then, weirdly, straight after that, I, I auditioned to be a presenter on a show called Movie Watch, which is a, uh, a, a TV show about movies. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I uh, did that, and I was so shockingly shit at it. Uh, but I, I said, I'll go for it, you know. And I was really bad, got fired. Um, and then managed to get another job as a presenter, somehow massive chancer. Um, uh, and, but I was doing presenting and running, weirdly, at the same time. So I was kind of... Uh, I, I was just doing everything that I was given, working all the hours God sent as well. Uh, and as a runner, I sort of learned very quickly to be always around for people, uh, very nice to the boss, very nice to everybody who was around as well. So I think, you know, it's, it's, this, this is a kind of almost like a thing you don't, you, you, you don't think of, but actually being pleasant and decent and nice to people is a really important thing as you go through your career. There's a, there's a cliche about uh, be nice to everyone on the way up because you'll meet them on your way down, and it's so true. There, I'm on that downward trajectory. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, from then, I, I, and I got fired from my second presenting job, and 
then managed to get a, a job as a researcher on the Big Breakfast and just really just graft, you know, working your way up. And also, you know, it's about the people you meet along the way because I think a lot of your career ends up being uh, a kind of a little bit of a happy accident in some respects because you, you kind of end up taking an opportunity and off you'll go somewhere else and that will introduce you to new people and new experiences which will t- then take you somewhere else as well. So and there's no, I don't think there's a set route through it either. Mm. That, that's completely clear, isn't it? Because I mean, you actually have to make it up yourself. And I mean, innovation in terms of how you enter the industry is really, really important. I mean, we do sound like um, we're in the pews of a Calvinist church here going on about, you know, some hard work and decency. Whipping yourself. But, I know, with but, but script. <laughs> but there is another aspect to it, which is actually just unbridled enthusiasm mm. and excitement for what you're doing, isn't it? Because <laughs> if you're, you know, we, we occasionally in our company we'd interview somebody for a job about a show and they'd never actually watched television before. Mm. You know, well, why would you want to be in this if mm-hmm. you actually haven't, if you don't watch it and consume it all the time? So, I mean, how much a part do you think just being um, a kind of nerd of whatever it is that you love is important? You're nodding, Jordan. I, I think that's true because I think there's like a tendency to fall in love with what you think the end product's going to be. Like, yeah. I'm going to be on TV, it's going to be awesome, or we're going to end up with something that does really well. It's like, that's like 1% of it. Like, we love coming up with ideas and loads of, like, and that's the hard bit. You know what I mean? Like, sitting there mm-hmm. day after day writing it. But we love that bit. Mm-hmm. And so the little end goal is just like an added bonus. So I think it's like, falling in love with the mm. process of doing something. I'm always shocked when I meet people who want to work in comedy who don't watch. They watch the cool comedy. Mm. So they watch the really good, you know, they want, oh, everyone's talking about... You know, Inside Number Nine's an example, which is a fantastic show, I'm not saying it's not. But then you say to them, OK, so have you watched on Netflix all of the shows that are on Netflix? Have you watched Mrs Brown's Boys? Mm. Well, you're going to be snobbish about Mrs Brown's Boys, are you? The most popular show on television. Well, why are you not watching that? Because I can tell you something. A, in terms of having original ideas, one. Two, why are you dismissing people on what they enjoy because you don't think it's cool? Because cool isn't going to get you anywhere. In a lot of ways. It gets some people somewhere. It gets some people some places. <laughs> but even someone like Stuart, if you speak to Stuart Lee, who's got his comedy vehicle, which is a constant battle to get the BBC to recommission that, <coughs> in fact becomes quite a tortuous process for him. And he's been doing this for 25 years. All I'm saying is that, to me, I, television is a beautiful and gorgeous thing and it's currently in, I think, a golden period. Mm. really is, yeah. a lot of the programmes that are being made. Watch things you don't like because it's really important to watch everything and if a comedy is getting bad reviews watch it and see if you can work out why that has happened well, well that, I mean, we're all talking here about craft Sharon aren't we I mean, that's, I mean craft is the real word here because it's like you know it's, it's creative craft and it's, it's innovative thinking and everything does that does that require constant repriming I think I notice that like if I if I have a break and I've not you know, you get used to learning lines, you get used to doing that kind of thing. But I think you can also get a bit lazy because you you, re- you start relying on, oh, well, if I don't know it, I can do another take. I can, mm-hmm. And you also see other people doing it. And like what you say, you have to just be a nice person. <laughs> you don't, if you want a reputation, you want a reputation for being hardworking and being good at your job because it's your job. And I've come across a lot of people recently who their craft has gone out the window it's just they're going oh, i'm making telly <laughs> i'll do another take <laughs> but as an actor you have to remember that the whole process the whole the whole tv show isn't just made of actors 
there's so many people working their bums off just for you to do one take and for you to do an extra take that's time it's money so I think it is you do have to learn lines read plays go and watch plays I spoke to an actor recently who was like I can't afford to go and see plays well the citizens do 50p tickets the Donmar do £10 there's lotteries you can play the things are accessible but you have to get off your arse and do it mm-hmm. and like you said watch things you don't like yeah because I yeah. was t- I was really embarrassed actually when I first started out going oh well I'll do a monologue from a film don't ever do a monologue from a film read <laughs> plays <laughs> you know I, I can't play Susan Sarandon and Stepmum when I was 18 <laughs> <laughs> character's motivation is and we were filming a disused hospital and I was dressed as a nurse of course I was I'm a woman and the director came along and went walk from there to there say your lines and then go out there sorry (laughs) and to be honest with you a lot of television and that's why I did a lot of work with the comedy unit when I started and they do things quite quickly and you learn to turn up say your lines and then fuck off <laughs> and to be honest that's what you need to do yeah. a lot of the time and it's interesting just talking about being nice um, I overheard a production meeting once and there were two comedians they were talking about booking for a show one of them was better than the other but the one that wasn't as good was a nicer person so they booked the person who was nicer <laughs> because people want to work with someone who is not going to be a dick about things <laughs> and it's absolutely true and you meet I've met runners who have then ended up, ended up being you know five years later directing shows and it, it, it cannot be overstated oh, no. you are never the most important person in a show it's at all it's collaborative and that's, yes. a, that's a word that you don't often you know remind people about so it's not, it's not all about you it's collaborative no. I mean Phil, I remember any panel I used to be on just uh, being asked that question, how do you get into TV? I always used to say, if you're asking me that, the answer is you won't. Because if you want to get into TV, you will find a way, because there are so many different ways without me being unkind. No, there's, I don't think there's any sort of set route. I think, I think one thing to do, I think, one, I think one, one really useful thing to do is, if you're, if you're trying to get into television, is look at who makes the kind of television that mm. you like mm-hmm. and find out a little bit about them. And I always think there's one thing I just say to sort of uh, people who come and do working spirits and, and stuff with us is people like nothing more than dispensing advice and words of wisdom. Yeah. It's very flattering. <laughs> it's very nice for you. So, uh, can, I, can I maybe have a cup of tea with you? I'd like to download your amazing brain. You kind of go, okay. Uh, so, uh, and, and go to events like this and try and meet people and, and 
Uh, and and very importantly, when you do meet people, sort of know what they've done, you know, know what their what program they've made. I mean, I've had that's always very good. It is, you know, because I've, I've had people come in, you know, I've, well, two things. I'll have people that come in to pitch programs for Sky One or Sky Arts, and they haven't watched the channel, so they'll be pitching a program sometimes that is already on the channel. For yeah. Example. yeah, that's bad. Uh, and then I'll, I'll I'll come for job interviews and not really have a kind of sense of. Who I am, you know, and I think that's that's kind of important because then we can have a better sort of shortcut conversation, and they'll they'll understand the kind of things I'm kind of looking for as well. I had oh, really? I, I, sorry, I just sorry. I, had a, I, I just want to say I'd heard a terrible story, which I don't know. If oh, oh. Someone went to pitch for <laughs> Netflix. Is this going to be very bitchy? No, it's not bitchy. Okay. It's, <laughs> it's it's an example of actually do, saying telling the truth. They pitched for Netflix, and the guy at Netflix said, "Have you watched X?" And they went, "Yes." And Netflix went, well, you haven't. Because <laughs> <laughs> they accessed his, accessed his account to see what he thought. Oh. <laughs> 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 so all I'm saying is... Really, that's not legal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just as a as a warning story to say, yeah, I love that show you did on Sky Arts about the guitar thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Eventually, they'll I know you did watch it. The guitar, <laughs> I like the guitar here. One, I thought it was very good. Um, I'm just sorry. It was just it was just in terms of yeah. what you were saying about truthfully pitching. Yes. Truthfully pitch. Niceness and truth. Yes. We are like well, just an evangelical well. meeting. <laughs> but, you know, kind of audiences can sniff mm-hmm. out a lack of authenticity. Yes, and I think you've got to... Like, you'll, I'm sure you'll say this. And you, you, and it was interesting what you were saying, but you, you've got to like what you're doing. There's also... Uh, you've got to like what you're doing and believe in it and think it's good, mm-hmm. right? And you, then you keep your own kind of quality control up. And the audiences can sniff out completely if you don't believe it. Because most, well, most of the time people are saying that it's shit <laughs> like the majority of the time if you go and put anything out most of the comments on Twitter are like you're terrible I could do this much better mm-hmm. like you know what I mean you get a lot of negativity mm-hmm. when you try and make anything so I think if you don't believe in it and you don't love it it's really hard mm-hmm. but at least if you're just like well we loved it I don't mm-hmm. care if anyone mm-hmm. else likes it that is the most important thing again because that, that is <coughs> authenticity is actually really believing in the end goal should art. just be making it yeah, like absolutely. it shouldn't be TV or anything just be like just make it and the chances are someone else might like it. Well, that's the other thing is, again, you know you get um, people come and go, I'd like to be a director, or I'd like to be, go, what have you directed? They go, nothing. You go, well, yeah. by the time, you know, because of you know the medium that we have now, you've got it in your palm of your hand, you can, you can make a film. Mm-hmm. If you haven't done it by the time you're eight, you know, <laughs> it's <laughs> over. You, know, you still want to know why. That, again, that's, you say it's a golden age of television, but actually, mm-hmm. sometimes I think that's an enormous amount of pressure mm-hmm. on young people because they are required to turn up and go, here's my portfolio mm-hmm. of an astonishing small films that I made, stop frame animation and everything. And mm-hmm. if they haven't, they're kind of already at a bit of a disadvantage. Well, not necessarily, because there's lots of different jobs, of course, ah. in television as well. So it's not just all about, not everybody. If we were all directors, um, nothing nasty. <laughs> you wouldn't have production managers, you wouldn't have. Um, lighting directors, you, you wouldn't have well manner of you know, researchers. My point is that because we have access to be able to you know make things now, there's a lot of pressure on people to actually show us what you've mm-hmm. done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, but then again, the flip side, flip side of that, of course, is it is possible to. Mm-hmm. So it is possible that you guys have done quite rightly as well. Skip out the the kind of the man mm-hmm. <laughs> in television and do your own stuff and get things to audi- uh, your own kind of audiences in your own way as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Unfettered by well. idiots like, like me. Um, we wanted to make a documentary about the Kosovo Olympic team, which we've done, and that was just no one was like, going to no give us money for that. So we just went to do that. 
Like, mm-hmm. and we were like, someone will buy this eventually. Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, uh, essentially... Sounds very sky There you go. it's doing really well. So it's like, essentially take a chance as well. Like, things are... Of course it's hard. Everyone wants to get into an industry like this. So mm-hmm. you have to be more enthusiastic, nicer, and better than everyone else. And that's just enjoying it. And that's it. Like, there's loads of... We've all done... Everyone's done a shit job. Like... And it's just appreciating that it's like mm-hmm. it's not that like you see directors and film crews sometimes I think being like like they're the most important people they turn up at location and like act like they're the most important thing it's like it's just TV it's just making stuff just enjoy it because like, mm-hmm. I think that's it if you're always waiting on that promised land or that end goal it's never coming and it's difficult sometimes to compare I mean even uh, American comedy is far better in a lot of ways than ours. But as we've discussed before, Muriel, they often have writers' rooms of 12 people mm-hmm. and they have a conveyor belt. And that's why Parks and Recreation and the American Office and all those things. And also, I mean, in comedy in America, you more often have a director working on stand-up shows. It's very rare here as a stand-up to ever work with a director. Very rare indeed. Which is why our fringe shows are often a little bit more organic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so the other thing is, though, is to not try and directly compare because you know everyone goes oh but America makes great comedies why are we not making comedies like that because you know the nightly show for example which was on had about six writers now that's hugely unusual on any show to have that kind of many writers in a right we don't do writers rooms we don't so again going into a meeting and pitching a show like that the commissioner will go well you can't have 12 writers can you write it (laughs) you know because we're used to hear one writer or maybe a partnership of writers or something like that and especially if you're a, a performer, they'll, if you pitch the show, they'd go, well, you're going to write it, aren't you? <laughs> just, you, you, just yeah, you. Just you. On your that, that'll be what it is. And we might give you a couple hundred quid for someone to punch up the script for you, but <laughs> because that's what we do. So again, it doesn't sometimes help us because we're comparing ourselves to shows that we just do not make <coughs> here, I think. But it, we're all describing, you know, quite a similar landscape of being so driven that actually it's, it's nothing that's really going to stop you. But mm-hmm. I mean, and you mentioned earlier on uh, about failure, and, and mm. in a way, that's a really important thing to be able to deal with from from, from day one, isn't it? And um, I just wonder how all of you um, approach and regard failure as it being helpful or it puts you back ten steps, Phil. Well, um, so yes, no, I, I think it's how you fail actually, mm-hmm. and failure is a very important part of uh, you know we're always on the cusp of it in fact when so I, I ran Big Brother for many years and then I, I, I when I left I, I sort of I sort of basically ran screaming from the building I couldn't I couldn't do it anymore uh, it was, it was <laughs> run out of steam but then I, I had a year of complete failure this is quite recent you know so I went to America and I got this big job in America on a on a big uh, it, there's a show called Dancing with the Stars in America so I did a show called Skating with the Stars it was shit <laughs> uh, and I was and I was the showrunner so I got fired uh, they talk about throwing you under the bus in LA and my god they, they're brutal it's a really brutal place to go don't go to LA kids um, it was awful uh, and then I came back and I set up a set up a small TV company with a with an agent uh, who was a friend of mine. Uh, we got a few shows away. We fell out. It was it was just a sort of had this sort of disastrous year. Uh, uh, but I, but I didn't. That, and I've learned a lot lot from that. It's really kind of uh, um, it's, it's, it's taught me a lot about who who I am and my own kind of uh, sense of resilience. Because I just I walked out of that job with nothing else to go to, a family to support, and all these sorts of things. So it was, felt like a risky moment. But then I kind of knew enough people and was uh, go, went back to my student days, wrote lots of letters to people, uh, met lots of my sort of friends in telly and got 
a jobless guy. So, so failure and these sorts of moments in your career can happen at any uh, at any point. Just just because you're you, you look like a grown up and you on a channel doesn't mean to say it's it's not as delicate as everybody else's. We're all little kids screaming inside. <laughs> this is just taking a turn, isn't it? Sorry. No, no, it's not. <laughs> I mean, it's really important not to blame anybody else. No, I think that's you have I mean. to do it yourself. I mean, yeah. you talked about a little bit there earlier. There's, I mean, you haven't actually had much for you. I mean, you're, you're, you're had loads. Well, <laughs> no, but that, that's what I was going to say. It, to us, it doesn't look like yeah. so it looks like an incremental rise and everything. But it's about not blaming other people for the things that go wrong, isn't it? Yeah, and it's just I think is if any of you want to be actors, you have to just literally look at yourself in the mirror and being serious and go this is what I look like this is who I am I will never play Cinderella and I am absolutely fine with that but I can definitely play a fairy godmother and I can definitely play an ugly sister so you have to know when you go into this industry you have to use your common sense and go right it's a bit there's so many actors it's so there's oversaturated this industry so you have to know who you are what, what you'd like to do what you will do, what you won't do. Because there's no point in sitting with a director and going, yeah, I'm happy to do that nude scene. Yeah, I'm happy to do that sex scene. Yeah, that's no bother. And then getting on the set and going, <laughs> no. Because you're just wasting everyone's time and you're making yourself look bad. But I get failure all the time. Don't I, Mum? But you know what? I think it, I think because how boring would your life be if you everything you wanted you just got you have to have a fire and you have to fight for things and yeah there's parts that I really want that I don't get but sometimes it's just because literally I'm a little bit too tall or I'm a little bit too big or weirdly I'm a little bit too small I, there's nothing I can that's not, that's not mm-hmm. your mm-hmm. problem so don't make these battles your battles because people will judge you as an actor so you just need to go <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I think that's that's a great point that um, the James Morton film that we made um, that came off the back of <coughs> we had done loads of music videos for a Scottish band actually called Prides and we did four or five music videos for them and they were kind of weird um, I dressed up as a giant yeti for one of them and they were yeah a wee bit odd and that attracted quite a lot of like strange comments on YouTube I don't know if anyone's ever looked at comments on YouTube but well, um, no. yeah. <laughs> they are weird. It's a battleground yeah. of crazy out there yeah. on the YouTube comments. Yeah, so essentially we just made a, a daft video of all our favourite uh, weird YouTube comments about the music videos we made. Um, someone at Ireland saw it um, and went, oh this is really funny, this is how we should market our bands, essentially wearing your um, you know, your, your, your kind of the stuff that makes you uncool as your kind of badge of honour, and that's essentially what that is. That's the brief that we got. They went, James Morrison isn't cool, um, can you show that he has a sense of humour about that though? And that's that's what that film was. And essentially, our failures, us making a video about our failures, um, got us another job. So I think just, yeah, just roll with it, yeah. I think, and accept them. Um, Let's talk about the, the real elephant in the room about actually living and working in Scotland because we're all internationalists here. Um, you obviously, touch, but you know, you, you you operate out of London. The the, the rest of us uh, are based in Scotland but work elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest. How hard is it? I mean, presenteeism is sometimes really important, mm. isn't it? So, yes. I mean, what what are the what are the difficulties of it, and what are the advantages? It's really. I would say it's really quite difficult. Um, for me. For example, last week, uh, on Thursday at five o'clock, could I pop down to London for a 15-minute audition? 
well, that'll cost me £500. <laughs> and I did that for many... I've done that, and I will still I will still do it. I will ask them, first of all, if they could possibly coincide with a day I'm already there. So on Wednesday, I got the sleeper down, audition, filmed a TV show, sleeper back up again. How good's the sleeper, though? Oh, <laughs> <my> <laughs> the sleeper. I think the thing is, for me, it is... People, and I'm sometimes booked because I am Scottish, because they're required to tick that box, as we all now know, <laughs> but they will no longer pay travel. So, for example, when I do some shows, I lose money. Some panel shows or television shows, I lose money. Because they, will, they, won't, they want you there because you're Scottish, because you've got an interesting voice, but they won't pay for you to come from Scotland. And sometimes it's just the logistics. If I'm asked to film something, I have to factor in the travel time and sometimes they forget. And the money of having to have a hotel and having to do all that kind of stuff. It is incredible. I'm not saying my career would have been better because I think I would have been a, a different comedian had I lived in London and joined in all that kind of social life. So I prefer being here. But my God, it is tough. And it's more expensive. There is no question. My train fare bill, happy to say this, to my <coughs> accountant last year, was thirty thousand pounds. Yeah. <laughs> I spent thirty grand on trains last year. I'm still more interested if you pee in the sink. No, <laughs> I'm a lady. So that is how much I cost. So until I started making some money on some shows, my entire everything I earned went on getting to the places I was going. So there were years where I earned absolutely no money because I just had to get to the jobs. Well, as a commissioner, I'm discussing that for a bit, Phil, because obviously, I mean, a lot of people, Susan's right, they, they want you because you're Scottish, but they assume that you'll live in London. Um, and so, I mean, is there, is, there any, is there any advantage for people staying put in Scotland? Oh, gosh, I think that's really Please difficult. say yes, I've just bought a house. Yes. <laughs> so I think the best thing to do is, it's a pretty difficult question for me to answer, because it's, um, I mean, I, I, commissioned, I commissioned Scottish production companies. Yes. Um, but generally, most of the activity happens, mm-hmm. of course, in, in Scotland. And, you know, at Sky, we don't have a particular... I mean, BBC and Channel 4 have a remit to do stuff in the regions. We don't have that, yeah. but we do do it. Um, but I, and I've never seen... I mean, it does... I, you know, when I... I shouldn't say this, but when I see my BBC and Channel 4 colleagues, there still is a snootiness about working in the regions, I think, and the nations. There still mm-hmm. is. And there's still a lot of barriers to overcome. Mm-hmm. I'm all for Channel 4 moving out of London, for example. Mm-hmm. So I think... Things like that can can kickstart an industry, mm-hmm. uh, but there's de- like, there's no doubt about it. You know, I moved to London to try and get a job. This was a long time ago. I think it's still true that that's the, the epicenter of the media, and that's mm-hmm. kind of where it all happens. You can work a lot more remotely now, uh, which is easier. So we can do viewings much more easily with Scottish production companies or Irish production companies because because mm. the way technology works. But still, uh, presenteeism is. It is. I unfortunately, mean, you, can, you can obviously do additions down the line, and you can do yeah. them on tape and everything. But but it's also that you said networking. It's actually just meeting people. Mm-hmm. Actually, you might just make that connection and, mm-hmm. and bump into them. And so mm-hmm. I mean, it is quite difficult. I think you. I've learned recently to. I would never ask to do a self tape if it wasn't given to me as an option. Mm-hmm. I just wouldn't ask. But now, like you're saying, I get scary bills like that from my accountant, mm-hmm. and I go actually. Sometimes it's okay to ask. Mm-hmm. Can I self tape? Because a lot of the time you you spend all that money, you go down, and it's you and the casting director. It's just used to. Mm-hmm. So if you get a recall, you're coming back anyway to meet the director because all you're going to do is tape. And if it's a casting director you've met before, mm-hmm. if you've met them before, there's no harm in saying, "Look, can I tape?" But then if you're going to tape, 
you make it a nice tape. Like I've invested in some lights. I've got like yeah. a little studio. Don't send them a tape of like you and your pal. <laughs> <laughs> like, go actually, you know. Yeah. Like, put a bit of effort. Yeah. But the thing but, is, because sometimes I went down because my agent, not my current agent, said, "Oh yeah, like you. Oh, it's gonna be great. So I'll be really." And it was for the Inbetweeners film. <laughs> Oh. And I was sitting in a room in L Street, so it was L Street, which is an hour outside yeah, like London, in a room full of 18-year-old girls, all blonde, and I went, ah, no fucking way. <laughs> Why am I sitting in a... And I'd spent 500 quid, I'd spent 24 hours for 15 minutes that I was clearly unsuitable for. And th- those are the things, but again, as you say... I got. I've just got a part in a BBC One sitcom. Please don't tell anyone about that just now. You've just got a part in a BBC sitcom. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right, the casting director I've met on five other occasions, and I haven't got the part. But when I walked in, they went Susan, and I went yeah. yeah. Mm. So the problem is, one of the things that absolutely is absolutely true. I slept on floors of train stations and bus stations and people's floors. For five or six years, I've called on favours of friends to do this. I'm never home. But it's, I love, this is what I want to do. But I think there are things that sometimes you have to draw a line. If you want to live in Scotland, sometimes you just have to say, this is, I I became quite ill a year and a half ago with motion sickness. I fell over all the time, dizzy. Felt like I was drunk all the time. And it was from being on trains my brain lost control of itself and I started falling over because I was on trains more than I was on terra firma yeah. and I had to stop that. <laughs> John, it shouldn't affect you but it probably still does as well. Um, I think, yeah, it's, there's, uh, I think like Phil alluded to, there's a, a, a big snobbery there. Um, like <coughs> even when, you know, you, you, you were talking about that a lot of people didn't realise that you were Scottish and were surprised that you were Scottish. Yeah, I get a lot of shit about my accent and the kind of opposite way. Mm-hmm. People go, your Scottish accent's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> my best here and you come up with all your I come all the way up yeah absolutely (laughs) (laughs) we can't move Scotland and we can't change the geography of it I mean but for instance like say Channel 4 moved to Scotland that would be a start that would be really brilliant brilliant. yeah it would be brilliant she'd definitely do that yeah she should definitely move Channel 4 to Scotland (laughs) (laughs) Um, but but until that happens, and BBC didn't even commit to it, maybe we could have moved an entire channel to Scotland if they wanted to, we're still stuck with that problem. Mm-hmm. And so again, have you got to factor that in, that if you're going to stay here and work, mm-hmm. uh, you're going to actually have to factor in the inconvenience of travel mm-hmm. or finding some way to overcome it mm-hmm. or actually even move? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's po- I think uh, so many of my, and you'll know this as well, stand-up and comedians have moved. Yeah. And they just go because it's just easier for them to go. And I've made the decision I want to stay and try and make it work because I think it makes me better being here. 
uh, it's not easy. But you know what? It's kind of like this is going to sound strange. Living in Scotland, it's it's kind of, don't say it properly, Susan. Watch yourself. It's kind of like self harming. <laughs> difficult. You go down and people don't understand why you're still here. You make filming difficult. You make everything difficult. But you know what? I bloody love that. When I sit in front of someone and I go, yeah, I live in Scotland, and you're going to have to factor that in, and I'm not moving. I don't care what you do to me. I am not moving from where I currently live. And I love it, actually, because then you go down and people say stupid the things people say to me. What do you have? Do you, do you make programmes in Scotland? We <laughs> do. And but I think it's important. It's all English people. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think it's important that people do stay here and go down there and say yes, there are talented people down there. It's a very, well, it's, it's hugely bubble, important. Right? Yes. Yes. It's hugely important to me that I'm a Scottish comedian and I stay in Scotland and I, I this is this is where my home is and it yeah. makes it more difficult but I really wouldn't have it any other way I don't think right. I'm just going to open the floor to question are you about to say I totally agree with you I mean we kept our company in Scotland the entirety of it because it was it was it's like being bilingual <laughs> you know what's going on down in London but they don't know what's going well, on yeah, yeah. like you tell your mates what you're up to that. yeah I know <laughs> <Point then>. yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, so sorry start off the down here with a question <coughs> stuff at the moment, child might be moving different bits up here, but why hasn't Sky been the initiative that have gone, okay, I might move like a couple of people up to Scotland? Okay. Well, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I, I, d- I d- actually cannot answer that question. I'm very much looking forward to this. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe we should. I might suggest it. But we do have, like, for example, there's, we opened a big office in Ireland. That doesn't help Scotland. <laughs> but, so there's the, the big centres really are in London and in Ireland. And of course, there are there are call centres, but they don't really count as sort of creative units, really. But um, you know, I just look. I mean, it's just that's where I know there are five. Of course, there are. I mean, actually, I did a little heat map of Sky Arts and where most viewers are, and because I think the Sky Arts audience is the most discerning and intelligent audience, obviously. <laughs> and it's London and the, and the uh, central belt of Scotland where. Most people watch Sky Art, so uh, and as one of the things I've been talking about in the business, I know you're brilliant, um, is uh, is that we do need to do. We've concentrated a lot as a business on Ireland because there's a big commercial benefit to that because there's a huge centre in Southern Ireland. So a lot of these things are economic decisions, uh, and we have been actually been talking about doing more stuff in Scotland, but I don't think there's any plans to move a big office up here. Unfortunately, and it's important to remember Sky has no public service yeah. no. at all. No. They're just a commercial thing. So I mean, anything mm-hmm. we do that's a good thing is. Extra. <laughs> Any other questions? Yes, ladies are here and then gentlemen. Um, just kind of following on from that, obviously po- politics and what's happening across Europe and the UK and walls being put up in many places. Um, how do you think that's going to be incorporated into our industry? Because, you know, we are expected to be very mobile and flexible, but it seems the political climate is moving in an opposite direction. Can you hear that at the back? Don't you? Yes, yeah. So you are you concerned about sort of restricted opportunities yeah. because of because we're leaving Europe well, or flouncing yeah. out of uh, <laughs> politically? Yeah, it's a very volatile time, and it's, it seems that you know looking for work is going to be hindered in some ways by what's happening. And um, how do you feel that at uh, a kind of industry level, or is it just something that we're? Well, I don't know what anyone else's experiences, but I haven't noticed any. Uh, re- any restrictions happening that have affected employment? Mm-hmm. I certainly haven't. 
I mean, we're kind of an interesting position at Sky because we work in Europe quite a lot as well. So we, we're partners with our Italian colleagues and our German colleagues. Mm -hmm. So th th there's still free movement between all, <laughs> all of us. But I don't think, you know, uh, I mean, it's obviously very uncertain times. No one knows what's going to happen in a couple of years' time when we finally do declare independence or whatever we're going to do. But I, I can't see see it necessarily affecting the sort of creative industries in initially. I think if you think about the positive things as well, in, in, a, in, in a year and a half or two years' time, outside Edinburgh there's going to be a giant movie yeah. studio built. You know, so we can't we can't control like Brexit happening or no. whatever, but we can certainly take a hold of that that opportunity that's going to come, and that will completely change how films and and, and how productions are made in Scotland. I think like the studio. So, um, there are positive things that are happening in, in the mm. next few years that I think might actually counter some of the. I think Ireland's a really things. interesting though. We have to watch films because I filmed and they've got Fabi Digital Studios in Ireland. And there's quite a lot of kind of productions that go back and forward. I think the thing is, none of us, none of us know what, none of us know what any, what's yeah. going to happen with anything. Yeah. Donald Trump, Donald Trump could kill us all next week. So <laughs> I think Payne might win. It's, yeah. a great, it's a great time for satire. So there's yeah. other type of loads of opportunities for yeah. yeah. There's an interesting thing, you know, the Irish. The, so Game of Thrones was uh, they wanted to film in Scotland, yeah. but the Irish. Uh, Political, I don't know who it was. The film body sort of just dived in and did yep. a better deal yep. really quickly. Yep. So yeah, it's having your eye on the main channel. There could be opportunities well. if yeah. if uh, we set our own tax rates and all that kind of malarkey, and we see the film companies coming. Yeah. This could be the start of a beautiful thing. I think the thing is that, as with any career, trying to second guess anything that affects our in the industry that we're in. Uh, you know, when the recession happened, people stopped going to live comedy gigs because pubs stopped putting them on because they weren't making any money and there was a terrible time that happened there so you just have to one day at a time frankly you have to focus on what you can do rather than yeah. worrying too much about the if i spent all my time worrying about the broad political landscape i wouldn't get out of bed yeah. you know, so you've got to <laughs> yeah. just, yeah. just yeah. i was just wondering um you've you spoke about um, having a passion for your work and also um, being uh, well, enjoying your work and being amiable. Mm. Has there ever been a time where you had to uh, pander to get what you wanted or like <laughs> um, <laughs> target your work towards a specific demographic? Or compromise. Or compromise. Yeah. Um, Every <laughs> I cannot tell you how disgusted I have been with myself at some of the things I have had to do in terms of talking to people who I really, really have a dislike for, and I have had to do things. things and apologize for things that make me that really upset me but uh, what it makes me all I always think if I'm in a bad situation is if I ever get to a position of power I will never make anyone do what I have just had to do especially any women that ever work for me will never have to go to the lengths I have had to go to sometimes to that I've been asked to do and all it, all it should do, I think, is fire you to make sure that if you ever get to a situation where you have any control, you do not make people do the things that I have had to do. So it could, it could be, it's frustrating, but do you know, a wee bit of fire, this is why failure is good, a wee bit of fire in your belly 
of I will never... I've had to tits and teeth the shit out of things. Roots <laughs> <laughs> down. Tits and teeth. As my friend Gavin would say, give them the full tit and minge. <laughs> sounds like a perfect Skyers programme. I don't know about you, Sharon, but there are times where I have had to smile oh, yeah. and it has yeah. been the most painful and thing. And you're just like, bound open and yeah. you're only because well, I'm ready I, to go. But can I just say as well, because it would so it's come out, there, there are times as well, I mean, I, I'm going to confess, there's times when I have actually done a Christian bail and going, I'm not putting up with this. And actually, so you don't have to always mm, be no, this. Because sometimes when someone is creatively or, or professionally undermining you, there are times you have to go, no. Actually, so, mm-hmm. you know, I know we've spent the last sort of like three quarters of an hour going, just always be nice and always mm-hmm. But actually, sometimes you go, no, just actually fuck off. But you, <laughs> can be, you, you, can be, you can be assertive, yeah, uh, yeah, think, yeah, yeah. and you shouldn't have to compromise your ethical or moral no, standards. Yeah, yeah. But you will. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, the you thing is, it's, it's a balance. I think that's why we try yeah. so hard ourselves to do our own stuff and not yeah. be not looking for anyone's permission to do anything because then that's it. Like, if you need someone else to say, okay, you're in this show, or yeah, you can make that thing. There is the tendency to have to, oh, well, I really need this. But We're that's dead unusual. I mean, the autonomy that you're getting, you know, that's the way that sometimes people become a novel writer. Well, that's the way that the, 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 the no view, people view things. Now, yeah. That essentially, like, why, why do you need to be on telly to get... Well, you can get to an audience without... Yeah. Yeah. We got more views for that James Morrison thing than we would have ever got on TV. Yeah. Unless you put like it on, like, BBC, BBC One yeah, prime yeah, thing. Yeah, like. yeah, the most important thing I can say is to build up a network of people around you that you trust, that you can tell the stories that we are currently not telling to you <laughs> and you know that they will not tell anyone else. A support network of mm. brilliant people who you can trust throughout your career is hugely important. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, gentlemen at and somebody else in the production team. Oh, we like it when Francis comes in because he always brings cake. You know, and I didn't realise that we get a reputation. <laughs> something that's it, it costs two pounds. Just wait till you don't bring cake. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the price. Don't bring the cake. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was enjoying everyone's you know, point about you know not being a pain in the neck. Mm. You might get the trouble. Um, and I enjoyed everyone talking about how they got their first break. But the one person that didn't talk about that, Muriel, would you talk about maybe about how you started? Here we go. <laughs> Here's the bloody story. <laughs> Well, they just offered me the tube, but I said yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was unfortunate. I was really laughing at that early because I'd love to say I worked my way up from the bottom, but actually I was assistant head of design at the Museum of Antiquities at the time. And, uh, and um, I was playing the punk band and Channel 4 had just started and we're looking, I used to get the NME and the Melody Maker religiously because in my head I was still a punk, not a civil servant. And, <laughs> and so we, we tried to audition the band for this this programme called The Tube, which was a music programme, and I ended up being offered the job of presenter, which I did for all five C's, and I never gave up my job at the museum, because mm-hmm. I didn't take it seriously, because I thought, I'm not actually, I'm not a television person. <laughs> I mean, it's a really traumatic tale of a woman immediately offered a high-profile tea. It's like Angela's ashes. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I can, like, like, sort of, uh, 
feel that. There were uh, there were five <laughs> other faces for the spaces in that you know things. Mm. It was Paula and Jules and these other kind of commoners from the street. And the only reason that I was the only one that survived is that I took it seriously as a job. Mm. So while everyone else was sort of going around sort of trying to be famous, I was just in my dressing room thinking of something funny to say for the link, making sure I got it right, reading all the researchers' notes, getting on with the director and the producer, mm. and being nice. And so and I got sacked once for being rude about Rod Stewart when they told me not to be. And that's all. Yeah. <laughs> and I was immediately reinstated. And um, so it, it, I'm afraid it's an incredibly parallel situation. Where, and um, at, at the end of that five years of you know being at the museum, with them, you know, um, I just had to make the decision to carry on in the media, and then started a company and blah blah blah. But parallel, almost exactly parallel, because it was just you know work hard and mm. um, and and stay under the radar of people who would like to sack you. Mm. <laughs> oh, okay, don't get don't get noticed sometimes. It's don't, I, that's advice. what I did. Oh, yeah. I, 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 did. I just didn't get noticed. I made sure that Paul and Jules never noticed I was there. Yeah, there was, yeah. There was one. <laughs> a, a, a guy, what's it, uh, Bob. He's a producer in Scotland, and essentially his adv- uh, advice to John and I was. Always be lukewarm. <laughs> never be, never be hot. It was like you never want to be too hot and you never want to be cold. Just be stay in the middle. I just think which I, I thought was completely bizarre. I had the honour of working with uh, Jennifer Saunders, who's one of my comedy idols, on a show called Dead Boss. And she walked in and she had a cup of tea with us outside and she had a crappy trailer like all of us and she knew everybody and she was... And then she did her lines, bang, there you go, off a pop. <laughs> so not only was she beautiful to everyone, but she then also did her job incredibly well and she's been... she was in, It was incredible to watch. So... And from that moment on, you just think, God, you are, you are absolutely amazing. So it's just... It's just... I would rather be... No matter how shit my job has been... I would rather be doing this than what I was doing or what an alternative is. So no matter how shit it is, it's it, you're at least doing the thing that you want to do, yeah. I think. Yes. Please, there. Um, Philip, can I ask um, if you would describe the commissioning process that happens to Sky Arts? It's a coalition of chaos. <laughs> <laughs> Not strong, stable leadership, then. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely the opposite, I can tell you that. Um, so there's a team... There's a team. There is a strong stable leader, obviously. But there's a team. No, no, there's a team of people. Because I commissioned the Sky One as well, entertainment shows, and I run the Sky Arts Channel. Uh, and there's sort of two approaches. Sometimes we come up with ideas and go out to people that we know can make them and get them to make them for us. Uh, and uh, we we receive uh, numerous pitches every day on email or face to face. And if we like an idea. And we think someone can make it. There's two things you see. There's, is this, it's, it's this, when you're a sort of TV producer, um, there's, there's an element of trust that we need to have. That, that, that not only is the idea good enough, and the access to all the people that you've said you've got access to is, is, is watertight. But you can actually, uh, you have the skills to make the program, or you have the skills to get the people around you that will absolutely make the program. Um, so it's the process. It doesn't. It's not. There's not a sort of set route in a way. You know, I'll get sent a top line idea. Uh, for in fact, the Brian Johnson thing was, you know, Brian Johnson from ACDC wants to do a show where he interviews famous rock stars. And I went, that sounds like a really good thing for, for an arts channel. And there was no more to it than that. So I put some development money into that to get, to get it sort of sorted and turn it into a TV series. Sometimes we'll get a huge, massive treatment or something that's a fully formed film that I'll just buy. So there's not a kind of set route into it, but, you know, uh, particularly in an arts channel, because if it's an arts thing, it's 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 sort of has a sort of valid purpose on the channel. But it's Sky One, it's always about big entertainment shows for me. So uh, I've got very specific briefs 
that I'm, I'm looking for. So two massive entertainment shows and six factual entertainment shows. So I know exactly what I'm looking for. And then it's a matter of briefing out to mm -hmm. uh, production companies and they'll send ideas back. But we're always basically, sorry, just to finish that, I'm banging on. Uh, we're always looking for that sort of thing that we didn't know we were looking for. <laughs> uh, <laughs> seriously, because most ideas you get pitched are the same as every other idea. Mm. Or they're just celebrities in a place doing a thing. So it's kind of, you know... What's wrong with that? I think they're green. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, once you get to Celebrity Submarine, you know you've kind of... I, I'm in. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of booking it now. Do you have actually, to vote so. them off? Yeah. Yeah. The next Tur time. Through the top. I don't. I come from like playwriting. I've never actually. I only did like a few short films last year. But I'm wondering if you guys have any advice for people who like haven't been in the industry to like get in. Or and more. Mm. <laughs> Honestly, seriously, you know, you're on more at the top of um, Byers yeah, Road, yeah. where they that's one of the most important commissioning mm -hmm. bodies for new playwrights, and they're really, really brilliant, and they take submissions all the time unsolicited. Yeah. So that's my advice. But anyone else get best ones up? Yeah, I mean, which is great. There's, there's also a new one opened up along just what that church. Yes, uh -huh. mm. I think there's the same thing. So it's the thing. I'm sorry to give you this advice because I've just written a play recently. In, um, endured the, the, the torture of, of live theatre where actors <laughs> not doing what you told them. <laughs> That's because um, she's English, she doesn't <laughs> understand. <laughs> understand. But, um, but so um, the creative directors of both those mm. are really open to new submissions. So fringe, yeah. fringe, yeah. and fr oh, that's a little bit diff more difficult. No, no, but yourself. but what I would say is, you say the fringe, and I'm going, mm. ah, there are so many. The summer hall, there are so many little places mm -hmm. where it won't cost you a fortune to put a play on at the fringe. People like the Travis will help you out. The stand or the stand comedy club are incredible. If you've got an idea, they'll help you out with it. So what I would say is, go to the fringe, see if you can see the places where they're doing things like you would like to do and then talk to the organisers and see if they can help you out the next year. The Fringe isn't just the big four venues that cost £20,000. There are lots of places that will help you out, and that is where you can get seen by lots and lots of people. So I would say book a ticket to the Fringe, train ticket, and see as many as you can in a day, and then talk to people. Yes, um, and also just say, um, as a playwright... You can't edit the actors once they start. You can't stop them. So you just hold your head in your hands. She and keeps on. looking at you. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's just not. She's like looking right into you. Yes, sir. Uh, it kind of follows on. I was <clears throat> struck by how you guys were talking. Like it's almost like a, a, a sort of continual struggle to, to or but a, a enjoyable struggle to keep getting things made, and. Uh, Sort of sometimes when I'm uh, at a lot of these events, the, that phrase breaking in uh, comes up a lot as if there's sort of one day where you're outside of the industry and then another day where you've, you've had your break and then you're sorted. I just wondered if you feel is that breaking in, is that an unhelpful phrase? And if so, what would you replace it with? Well, I think this is quite, I mean, we. We are on telly, so we're at the start of that um, process, and that breaking in period has taken us three years to go from the guys who make adverts and content to the guys that now get right. take, might be taken seriously in TV. It's similar to the documentary we kind of mentioned. We had no idea <coughs> how that world worked and how many people we had to to know to get that made. Like we had to speak to like the SDI, Scottish Documentary Institute, and people like that, and and then go to events where people then it's like who's the there was a photographer that said 
um, the day I became a photographer was the day that I said I was a photographer. And you just say it enough, like, how many, uh, I'm sure your transition from a lawyer to a comedian, you just started Tell saying you were a Fred, comedian. No, Fred Macaulay always said, because Fred Macaulay was an accountant, and he said, never say you used to be a lawyer, say you're a comedian. Yeah. yeah. He said, say you're a comedian. Day. If you are what you are, then you mm, say that yeah. you that's what you I'm are. I'm a filmmaker. Yeah. Like, and it's like, okay, cool. Mm. Let's see some of your yeah. films. Let's hear some of your ideas. Rather than, I'm a student and I'm thinking about making films. The yeah. difference there is so... Seems so subtle, but so so important. I think there is a tipping point there where people just like, all oh, right, oh, that's my mate who's who's the filmmaker. Yeah, like he, that's what he does because mm-hmm. he makes films. I've watched his films. Mm. I hate them. But, like, <laughs> he makes me watch them all the time. Okay. I've got to have one more question. I'm just going to have to wrap it to someone. Yes, lady up there. Um, my question is, in terms of, so I'm just leaving university at the moment, but having come from like an academic background, in terms of gaining like vocational skills demanded by things like acting and directing, so everything from, you know, lighting and like camera operation. Do you think that further vocational training is how you like gain those skills? Do you think it's through courses or do you think you're able to learn it on this? Get on the floor. Mm. Not on the actual floor. Get on the floor. That's English for you. Coming up here. When I was just straight out, like fresh out of the university womb, I'd done loads of essay work. Mm. And it's boring, but use your time wisely. You're on a set, mm-hmm. listen. And what I used to do is I used to shad in my... This is in my own head. It's like when I was learning how to drive, I used to walk about the supermarket with the trolley as if it was a car. <laughs> you, know, you have to use your... Just try it. Go on a set. Ask for some work experience. You don't mm. ask, you don't get in this industry. No one's going to come and say to you, oh, are you interested in this? come along just be quiet and listen and watch so that you you know stuff mm-hmm. you know how can what a camera angle means what a lighting is what a floppy mm-hmm. is it's not what you think it is you have to take the opportunities that are there and use them to your advantage yeah i was a pipling on a kids show called way blue and i had to move a pipling puppet then they would be like Pipling's out, and I'd get screamed at, and I'd have to like run away and sit in a corner. And the crew were really horrible to me, and I just got in the way because I'm quite a big person, and I was being a little puppet. But every week I would look at a different department, mm. and it made that job actually really fun for me because I'd go into work and be like, right, I'm going to watch the grips today and see mm-hmm. what they do, and watch them. And no, no one ever people can tell you what it means, but unless you get on a floor and watch, mm-hmm. watch people work. It's the best way to do it. One of the, one of the most interesting... I just did a, a documentary about gays, you know, uh, <laughs> for, called Gay Britannia, and it's with Stephen K. Moss. And what I'm finding more and more is when I do presenting work, it's you're, if you've got a sound guy, you're lucky. It's one camera guy, one sound guy, and they do the lighting, they do they do, they do direct it, because you've got a producer. You don't have a director, you've got a producer. You're just making... So, as a presenter, I now think of my edit points because I've spent such t- a lot of time... With, so I'm thinking, to help them, how can I get into this shot and out so you've got a, something which will edit in? Because those poor guys are lighting, yeah. sound, everything. So I think there's much more of a tendency to have smaller crews now, because you can do so much more with the cameras, that, to me, watching, as you say, these lighting guys, that to help them, fundamentally... I want this show to be the best show it can possibly be. And what can I do to help this show be good? And one of the ways to do it is to take your experience and say, 
how can I help you do this? Not only learning my lines, but how do I get in? How do I get out? Because I, in the future, it's so it's so small, you know. Can I can I just ask you a question just from your own point of view of having run a company? Because like, I don't want people to completely diss your idea of going on to do mm. like sort of other courses because actually they are very very useful indeed if you're going to different parts of production, aren't they? Yeah. For instance, if we would get people coming in who wanted to be at producerial level or whatever, you know, even having a degree in seventeenth century Russian poetry was of interest to us because it was about something that we didn't know about. Exactly. So so actually you should not be dismayed or be put off by continuing any kind of academic. Um, career because that is just another path. Yes, not all of that yeah, is correct, but, but yours is, is also valid because um, it's certainly very valid to us when we mm. were employing people. And presumably, stuff there is more vocational, you know, like some yeah. of the crafts yeah. uh, elements as well of television. Absolutely. And then you get to meet and film and TV. Also, you get to start to meet your contemporaries who you are do. also going to do other things. And that's a, that you can't underestimate that yeah. sort of. Yeah. And that, Susan says that support yeah. network you yeah. start to build up around you at the early part of your so, career. So it's a bit of both and everything, mm -hmm. but um, I'm, I'm incredibly keen that you know people still really take advantage yes. of vocational yeah, academic courses. Um, well, I think we don't have so fast and we're so run out of time, so I'm just actually going to finish on the panel just very quickly. If I could just ask you with your one tip to the audience today, I know you've given us millions of tips, but if mm -hmm. you had to sort of single out one thing, well. Am I going first? Yeah. Jeez, uh, I was hoping I could copy somebody else's tip, but uh, 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 um, no, I do, I do think um, you know, ne never uh, take every opportunity. I think that would be what my first bit succinct. Never look at someone else's career and be jealous and think, why the hell don't I have that career? Get your own career. Is the main thing. <laughs> uh, don't wait for permission. Don't let anyone else let you decide whether you're allowed to do it or not. Just Out of context, that's a really bad thing. Don't wait. <laughs> 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 Thank you. Shy Burns getting out, essentially ask uh, if there's an opportunity or ask if you're not sure about something because mm -hmm. no one will think you're stupid. People will find it refreshing rather than bullshitting your way through stuff and then getting found out at a later like, stage. Bar it's really interesting. Candle yeah, Bar did that. Yeah. She used to always ask the question and the first time she did it I went, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> she went, I don't know what that is. And you're right, yeah. it's such a shock. But no, it's great. Right, yeah, you're never, you're never good advice. Chan, last word to you. Right, mine's is a weird one, but any actors, or I don't know if this goes for any other parts of TV, but I said this earlier, don't I? Mm -hmm. See, every time you get money, birthday money, Christmas money, you get a wee bit extra in your work, put it away and save it for travel because the amount mm -hmm. of stress and yeah. heartbreak and times I'd be phoning my granny going, I need to get to London. Mm -hmm. Just put that money aside so when you need to get to London, you can just go... There it is. I mean, I know we'd all rather have a night out with some extra clothes and some nice makeup, but just travel mm -hmm. money, it, that never goes away if you want to stay here. That's it, going to be a big part of your life. Mm -hmm. Brilliant, thank you. Well, I'm just going to finish off by saying thanks very much to all of you for coming on this beautiful sunny day in this incredibly <laughs> hot room. Um, huge thanks to BAFTA. If you're not in BAFTA already, please join, honestly. We're such a great family to be part of. I'm not in BAFTA. Can I join BAFTA? You bloody <laughs> well. I think you should join BAFTA. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> honestly. Yeah, right. <laughs> and 
Obviously. It's a pleasure, lady. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's one got one English and one non back there. Yeah. <laughs> and a huge thank you to our outstanding panel. It's been a brilliant session. Thanks, Amelia.